0: Hey, how many of you saw the recent video uh, that was posted all over social media of the Pope um, embracing a young boy who had recently lost his father who just so happened to be an atheist? Anybody? Me? Oh, a couple of you guys. So the, the question the question that uh, arose out of this, and if you were to read all of the comments, um, and there were like 7,000 comments <laughs> on this video, um, was uh, regarding what the Pope had told the, the little boy. The, the little boy approached the Pope He said, hey, um, my dad had recently died. He was a very outspoken atheist. Was he going to be in heaven? And the Pope says, well, you need to understand that the God has a father's heart, and he will not abandon your father. And so, of course, the comments are, you know, huge, long, lengthy debates between Christians and atheists and all sorts of things. And it typically goes something like this. The Christians would say, absolutely, you know what? The, the, the Pope is speaking heresy. That is not true. The only way to heaven is through, um, you know, trust in Jesus Christ. And if you do not, you know, proclaim faith in Christ, then you will be in hell. And of course, all the other people are coming, oh, man, can you believe? Come on, guys, like that's, that's, that's an antiquated superstition. I can't believe you still believe stuff like that. In this day and age, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. How arrogant, how intolerant, how dare you believe such a thing? In a lot of ways, that is what we are up against. That's we up against with today's topic, with the problem of world religions. See, here's the basic assertion that Christianity claims, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father except through him. That there is no other name in heaven or on earth by which men must be saved. That there is a very narrow path that leads to the Father, and only a few will find it. That is the assertion that Christianity makes, that the only way to connect to God is through Jesus. And if you do not connect to God through Jesus, then there is no other way, in fact, to connect to God. But you need to understand how packed this is with offense, because we live in a world that highlights and idolizes tolerance above all things, and so you need to understand that this perspective is very intolerant. Man, come on, how arrogant to assume that only Jesus is the only way? How intolerant. How bigoted, how judgmental of every other worldview. Do you know what this implies? That every single other religious worldview and everybody who does not claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior is perishing and burning in hell for all eternity? That is an antiquated superstition, the world would tell us. I cannot believe that you would still think something like that. It is so intolerant. And of course, because tolerance has been the key word and the key phrase and the idol of the American society for the last 50 years or so, anything that spits in the face of tolerance is going to be rejected. See, I think humanity has this tendency to take the path of least resistance. You probably know that might be true in your own life. I think in general as a whole, it's probably true in some regards. If something makes us uncomfortable, we kind of tend to push it aside a little bit. We take the path of least resistance. It's just easier if everybody's right. It's just easier if we can all just get along and just like, if we can just believe and agree that everyone's going to be in heaven someday. It's, it's, it's going to create a more favorable society. It's going to create a nicer people. It's going to create a better place to live. So let's just all agree that everyone's going to be in heaven someday. This isn't the idea of inclusivism. Inclusivism is the idea that every religion is true, that every religion is valid. It doesn't matter what you believe. In the end, we'll all be together in paradise. How many of you have seen the, b- the, the bumper sticker, the coexist bumper sticker? you guys seen this before on a, on, a, on a car somewhere? It certainly implies that this is the case, right? That we should all just coexist, that we should all just be tolerant of one another, and that we sh- should all just get along, and that in the end everyone is going to be in the same place. There are other sentiments from other religious authorities in our day that say something very similar. Rabbi Shmuley Boutique says, I am absolutely against any religion that says one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. Mahatma Gandhi said, My position is that all great religions are fundamentally equal. And the great theologian Oprah Winfrey said, One of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe that there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to God. Has anybody ever seen the movie Talladega Nights? Anybody willing to admit that they've seen the movie Talladega Nights? Um, it's, it's about a race car driver named Ricky Bobby. Ricky um, crashes his race car, and he believes that he's on fire even though he's not, and so he runs out of the race car. Maybe you guys who have seen this movie remember the scene. He runs out, and he starts praying, help me, Jesus. Help me, Allah. Help me, Jewish God. Help me, Tom Cruise. Use your magic on me to put the fire out. He's hedging his bets. Man, it just, just because, you know, there might be one true God doesn't mean that they all can't be true, and so let's just pray to all of them because... Who knows? Maybe they're all just out there having one big party up in the heavens somewhere. Just because this religion is true doesn't mean that the others cannot be true. And that is what we're up against, and that is what feels good. See, inclusivism's basic premise is that all religions are true. And in our culture, that's, you know, you know, it, it is narrow-minded and offensive and judgmental to believe anything other than this. And so in high school, I took a world religions course. I was privileged enough to go to a public school that had a world religions course. And I was a brand new Christian, and so I was super arrogant. I believed I knew everything about, you know, Bible and Christianity and every world religion, uh, for for that matter. And so most classes was basically a debate between me and my teacher. Other people would chime in as well, but, um, you know, I, I had a lot to say because I thought I knew a lot. But when I stood up for Jesus being the only way to God, everyone saw me as bigoted. Everyone saw me as judgmental. Everyone saw me as intolerant. You know, we we had a couple of uh, Muslims and a couple of atheists in our class who actually had some convictions about their religious beliefs. Most people were just like this. They were like, yeah, you know what? We're good people. We're all going to end up in heaven someday. It doesn't really matter what path you take to get there. Everyone's going to be there. It's going to be great. Most people generally held on to a very inclusivist mindset. It's very comforting to believe in inclusivism. You don't have to exclude anybody. We can all just get along and we can all be happy with where we're at. But when you start saying stuff like that, and when you start saying like, you know, as long as you're a good person... Then you're going to be in heaven someday, and it doesn't really matter what religion you follow. As long as you follow something, then you're going to make your way up the, the mountainside someday. When you start staying stuff like that, then you're jumping on a really slippery slope because you start finding things in some religious practices that, that you just can't, you, you, you can't agree with. You, know, you can't find comforting. There are some bad things in religions that people do. Like, I, I, I made this comment, I, I, I still remember this day because it was, it was such a, a formative part of my, my Christian development, taking this class and having these debates all the time. Um, I, I had mentioned, like, you know, the, the Ammonites in the Old Testament. The Ammonites would pound their drums so loudly in their temple because they wanted to drown out the noise of the infant screaming that they had placed on the sacrificial flames. And I would ask my class, you guys, is, is, are, are, are the Ammonites going to make their way up the mountain? They'd say, no, that's horrible. And i would say, like, what, what about Jim Jones, you know? Like, he, he took 900 people up onto a mountainside, and he poisoned them all to death, and then he took all their children away to some enslavement camp. Or see, is he, you know, is that, is that a valid path that's going to make its way up the mountainside? No, that's horrible. That's so offensive. That's awful. I can't, no, that's, that's, that's horrible. Well, which ones are true then? You know, if every religion is true and every religion is valid and everything makes its way up the mountainside in some way, shape, or form, then, then why can't the Ammonites? Why would not Jim Jones and his cult be up there? Which religions are true? Is it just the popular ones? Is it just the modern ones? Is it just the safe ones, the comfortable ones? The ones that have people that look like you and me in them? I mean, they didn't even recognize the contradiction of their own argument that they were excluding those in their minds who were bad. But you cannot be an inclusivist that includes everybody but exclude the people that you don't feel are right to be there. Either it's all in or there's got to be something else. And then I'd point out how, you know, every world religious, every world, primary world religion disagrees. You know, there's, there's a general principle that every world religion holds on at least to some value to like the, gold, the idea of the golden rule. That we should do unto others as, as we desire people that to do unto us. Um, But below that, like, there's contradictions in all of the major world religions. Like, Islam, for instance, is monotheistic. Christianity believes in a Trinitarian God. Um, You know, uh, Buddhism doesn't believe in a God. Atheism doesn't believe in a God. Agnosticism doesn't know. So which one is it? You know, all all these contradicting ideas about who God is, well, which one is it? And my teacher would say, well, all of them. My world religions teacher said "They're, uh, they're they're all true. They're all valid. I mean, what do you mean they're all valid? You know, what, do, what do you mean by that claim? Because, I mean, you're an educator. You've been to college. Do you see how these claims contradict each other, but you're claiming that they're all valid? Like, the, can that honestly be true? And he would say, yeah. That can be true. They're all valid. They're all true. And then I'd say something like, all right, well, what's 2 plus 2? He'd say 5. Oh, shoot, he'd say 4. <laughs> and I'd say, every time? I'd say, every time it's 4? He'd say, yeah. 2 plus 2 is 4 every single time. And then i said, well, what if your daughter came to you? What if your daughter came to you? And she said, you know what, Dad? It's, uh, the idea that 2 plus 2 is, is 4 is so intolerant to me. It seems like such a bigoted, judgmental idea. I don't want 2 plus 2 to be 4 anymore. I believe that 2 plus 2 equals 5. It's 5 for me. That's what I believe about 2 plus 2. And so that's what I, that's what I believe. And you know what, Dad? I, I had a test today, and, and 2 plus 2 was on that test. And I put 5 down. And you know what? My teacher marked it wrong. How dare she mark it wrong? 2 plus 2 isn't equal 4. 2 plus 2 equals 5. In my world, 2 plus 2 equals 5. I mean, would you allow your daughter to maintain that kind of logic? And you wouldn't believe, but a lot of people would probably say, yeah, I would. Because to her, truth is relative. And whatever she wants to believe about 2 plus 2, that's fine. She can believe whatever she wants about 2 plus 2. It's not that big of a deal after all. Who really cares, right? She can believe 2 plus 2, equals five, but it's not five, right? We get that, right? Two plus two does not equal five, right? You get that. Please tell me, right? You get that, right? Two plus two does not equal five. The principles of mathematics, they're set in stone. They are simply what they are, and so two plus two will never be five. I don't care how you manipulate those numbers. Two plus two will never be five. It will always be four. I don't care how much you want to believe it. It is never going to be true. And what worries me is that we are throwing away basic logic because we, leave in, we live in a, in a weak cultural moment that says everything can be true. And if it's true for you, it can be true for you. It doesn't matter if it's true for me. It doesn't matter if it, it adheres to some absolute truth out in you know, the, the universe somewhere. It can be true for you. If you believe it's true, it's fine. Believe whatever you want to believe. You know, so we've had this past where absolute truth has been used to oppress people. Absolute truth has beaten people over the head. And it's been used to hurt people, and it's been used to do really bad things against people. And so, post-modernity came along and said, "Well, you know what? If absolute truths hurt people, then let's just get rid of absolute truths. Let's create a society that's more friendlier, and we'll flourish better together. And so, let's just get rid of absolute truths. Whatever you want to believe is fine for whatever you want to believe. It doesn't have to be what I believe. That's fine. But they can all be true. Let's just all get along. Everything can be true." So if you want to believe that 2 plus 2 equals 5, hey, believe it. It's okay. I can be tolerant. I can understand your position. It's okay. But here's the thing. All religions cannot be true without fundamentally changing what they are. Because every religious worldview makes truth claims. And the nature of a truth claim is that if it is true, its opposite has to be false. So the Bible tells us that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life, and that nobody comes to the Father except through him. The Bible tells us that there is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. And that is either true or it is false, but it cannot be both. But if it is true, it is true to the exclusion of every other religious worldview. And if there is another true religious worldview out there, then it is true to the exclusion of the Christian claim that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. And everything that you and I believe, then, is wrong and is false. But I don't believe that is true. So let me tell you why. From day one, religion was humanity's response to what happened in their heart and soul. Now, you got to understand this, right? Even, even back when humanity began, we had something, we understood something about the nature of what it meant to be human. We understood something about our experience upon this planet, that there was something wrong with us, that our minds convicted of us, our hearts convicted of us, our burden on our, on our conscience convicted of us. We understood that there was something wrong with the human condition. We were plagued by it. And we turned to religion, to answering. You see, people would see the world and how broken it was, and all the various forms of brokenness. You know, they would look out west, and they would see this dark, billowing cloud rolling in over the sea, and they'd see a tornado drop down from that cloud, and it would begin ravaging their cornfields and, and tearing apart their towns. They'd have an earthquake that would come and, you know, shake the foundation of their home, and, and this home that they had built and, and raised their kids up would then collapse all around them. They'd have tsunamis that would come and destroy and fields of crops, They'd experienced infertility, or or someone they loved would die of a disease, or one autumn, you know, they just couldn't have a good harvest because there was a drought all summer long. And And they looked at all of these things, right, the common experiences of living upon this planet, the common experiences of living upon this planet. They looked at all of this stuff, and they believed that all of this was the God's response to humans' guilt. This is just how they understood the world at work. We are guilty. There is something wrong with us, and we are being punished for it. The gods are doing all of this to punish us for how we are not pleasing them. This is our punishment. From deep within us, we know that we've done something wrong. We have screwed up, and we've offended the gods, and so now we are being punished. See, there was always an intrinsic knowledge of guilt and shame and fear and a heavy conscience. This was and continued to be the universal, natural human experience upon this planet. Everyone, everywhere, in every culture and people group understood in their mind and their heart that they were not right, that they were broken, that they had messed up. Their conscience bore witness to it, their life experience bore witness to it. They knew they were broken and that they had offended someone or something. So, the question that plagued humanity since our inception and every corner of the world from day one was how do I remove my guilt? This is the question that plagued humanity from day one. How do I remove my guilt? And the answer that every single culture for every single generation throughout humanity has come up with was religion. Religion was their answer to removing this guilt that everybody experienced. Somehow I need to appease the gods. so in response to my guilt and the punishment we are receiving, we will offer sacrifices, we will say prayers, we will build temples, we will house idols, we will bow down, we will offer our children to the flames, we will do whatever is necessary to appease the gods so that the guilt will be taken away. See, religion is just man's attempt to solve this inward dilemma, this internal guilt, to get rid of it, to remove it by appeasing the gods, by doing something, by working, by offering them something. It's our work that appeases the gods. And so we'll go ask the Muslim what the goal of Islam is. And they'll say that the goal of Islam is to achieve a heaven full of sensual pleasures. One giant party up in the sky, that is their goal, that is what they're aiming after. And the route to attaining this is through a life of prayer, committed prayer five times a day towards Mecca, following strict rules, fasting, recitation. If you do all of this, then perhaps Allah will accept you in the end, and you will receive it. And then go ask the Buddhist, or the Hindu for that matter, what their goal is. And they would say, our goal is to escape the cycle of life and death known as samsara. Right? And t- Time isn't linear in, in their perspectives. Time is cyclical. Over and over again, you live this life and you die and then you're reincarnated into a next life. And depending on how well you lived that previous life, you'll be reincarnated into a, into a bug if you were really bad, or a king if you were really good. It just depends on how you lived your life. But the goal is to escape that, and the only way to escape that is by emptying yourself through charitable works, through good works. Perhaps then if you do enough selfless deeds, you will empty yourself so that you can escape samsara and you'll enter into nirvana. Go ask the Mormon what their hope is, and they'll say that, well, it is to become a god one day of myself, and I will rule over a planet of my own. I will have other people that bow down and worship me. And the only way that you can get this is through strict adherence to the laws laid forth in the Church of Latter-day Saints. Go ask the Jew what they're all about. And they'll say, well, ever since the temple was destroyed in AD 70 and the sacrificial system was lost, we have uh, converted all of our religious practices to the synagogue and the study of the Torah. And so it's, uh, it's all about uh, abiding by the Ten Commandments and, and memorizing the Torah. It's by following the, uh, the religious festival set out in the law of God. It's by doing all of these things, and then we will attain an afterlife. And then go ask the Roman Catholic how they are saved, and they'll say, well, well, of course, we're saved through grace. But ironically, grace for them is conferred through sacramental practices. And so once you do the works of the sacraments, that is how you receive grace. Now, I can't be exhaustive here, right? I'm not going to go through every single world religion or every single cult that exists on the face of the planet, but you need to know that if I were to do so, the same theme would run through all of them. Religion is man's attempt to remove our internal guilt, that we have done something wrong, and so I am going to work at it. I am going to do something. It's about what I do to remove my guilt. See, everybody since the beginning of humanity has recognized personal guilt, and they have looked to religion to cure the problem. And so, yes, I believe that every single person is religious. I don't care if you're an atheist or an agnostic. I don't care what you worship. I don't care if you claim that there is nothing to worship. You are still religious because everybody, everybody is trying to remove the internal guilt that they all experience. But none of these world religions originated in temples or before idols. Right? It was far more subtle than that. If you were to look to the Bible, for instance, you would see that Adam and Eve started their religious practices in the garden. They, they sinned against God, they knew that their guilt, they recognized their shame, and so what do they do? They go and they cut down some fig leaves, and they sow some figs together, and they cover up their shame. That is an act of religion. It's the very first act of religion, the sowing of the fig leaves around themselves, the covering up their guilt, covering up their shame. And then what do they do? They, run in, they, hear, they hear the voice of God, they run into the forest, they hide from God, another act of religion. Hiding, concealing, blame-shifting, all of these things that they do, these are religious acts. This is religion. Religion is about covering our shame. We recognize we're guilty, and so we cover it. It's a religious activity. We recognize our guilt. We push it aside. We try to forget it. And we turn to all sorts of things to help us with this. Some people turn to drugs. Some people turn to alcohol or sex or gang affiliation. Some people turn to television or food. Some people turn to science or studying or learning or hobbies or sports or charity or, or church. For some people, their anxiety is their religion, the self-help books. Some people blame shift. They point the finger. They, they say, it's not my fault. I had no part in this. It's all about everybody else and what they have done wrong. They deflect their guilt. Some people lie and cheat and manipulate. You name it. That thing that we do to try to fix that internal problem that we have, that is the religion. It doesn't have to be done in a church or a mosque or a temple or a synagogue. That is our Religion. And everybody does this. Everybody does this. Everybody is religion, religious. And every religion is fundamentally the same. No, I don't mean that every religion worships the same God. I don't know. I don't, I don't say that. I don't mean that every religion uh, follows the same you know, s- standards or the same rules. But fundamentally, at the core of every religious worldview is a works-based solution to an inward dilemma. That is a universal truth regarding religion. But well, the irony of using religion to solve the dilemma is that religion actually perpetuates the problem. Now some of you as a child probably experienced Catholic guilt. If you grew up in the Catholic church, my, my father used to talk about this all the time. He grew up um, Catholic in Catholic parochial school and he would talk about this thing called Catholic guilt all the time. Now we didn't grow up in the church so I had no idea what he was talking about. He would talk about this thing called Catholic guilt all the time. The idea that there was a standard imposed on him that, that he just couldn't live up to. And his inability to do that actually left him feeling horribly guilty. But you need to recognize that every religious system leaves you feeling this way. So it's not just Catholic guilt, it's Buddhist guilt and Jewish guilt and Islamic guilt. Every religious system leaves its people feeling more guilty afterward than when they entered. Because religion is a perpetual guilt machine. You enter into religion hoping hoping to, to solve the inward problem that you have. You recognize something in yourself, and so you turn to religion and hope to fix it. And then you you, you recognize very quickly that you cannot live up to the standards set before you in that religious worldview. And so you feel guilty about it. And so what do you do? Well, you turn back to that religion. You just try harder and harder and harder within that religious system to get rid of the guilt that you're feeling. And then, of course, you recognize very quickly that you cannot live up to the standards set before you within that religious system. And so you feel guilty about it and you try to fix it and you cannot live up to the standards. So you feel guilty and you try to fix it. Religion is a perpetual guilt machine. And guys, you know better than anybody to what extent you've rid this merry-go-round. You know better than anybody to what extent you're haunted by past mistakes and how You're plagued with remorse and regret for a past life, and you know better than anybody to what extent you've tried religion to cure it. And you know better than anybody how religion has failed you in doing so. And so where is the exit to the merry-go-round? You know, how do you get off this perpetual guilt machine? What's the solution to all of it? And the answer to that is found in one very simple but powerful word. Forgiveness. That is the solution to the perpetual guilt machine. Forgiveness is what every single human heart desperately longed for but could never find in any religious system. Everybody longs to be forgiven, but we all turn to religion hoping that they will give us what forgiveness can only give us. And so when I said that everyone is religious, there's actually a small caveat to that that I think is important to know because... Understanding that forgiveness is the exit to the perpetual guilt machine is very important, and it's important because it's exactly what Christ offers. And so when I said everybody is religious, there is a small caveat, because everybody is religious except Jesus followers. Like, like, quite literally, those who follow Jesus are the only ones on the face of the planet who are not religious. We are the only ones who are not resting our security and our salvation on what we do. But we are the ones who are resting it on what has been accomplished for us. This is the only religious worldview that offers anybody forgiveness. So we are the only ones who do not rest our acceptance before God on what we try to do. We rest it on what has been done for us. We are the only ones who recognize our brokenness and our guilt and our shame within us. And instead of striving to accomplish something, we simply surrender to the forgiveness offered us through Jesus Christ. See, every world religion recognizes the need to be saved. Every religion recognizes the guilt in humanity, but no one else has come for us to offer us forgiveness. Every other God and every other religious worldview simply says, good luck. Why don't you try a little harder? Here's a little more advice. Here are a couple more rules, but good luck in the end. And this, my friends, is a major, major distinction. So when Jesus comes along in John's Gospel and says that I am the only way, truth, and life, and that nobody comes to the Father except through me, that's John 14, 6. He's simply saying, I am the only one who offers you forgiveness because I, your creator, am the only one you have offended. And instead of demanding something from you, like every other religious tradition might do, they demand something of you, right? They've been offended. They feel like they've been offended So they demand something of you. Instead, I have actually come for you. Not to chase you down and to punish you, but to chase you down and embrace you, to chase you down and to save you. I'm the only one who pursued you in your death, did something about it, and opened up a pathway towards life. See, Allah isn't coming for you. He would simply say, hey, go pray towards Mecca. Make sure you're following all the strict rules. And if you are chosen, then perhaps I will accept you. Buddha didn't come for you, right? He tells you to empty yourself so that you can escape the horrible existence and drift off into some non-existence. Krishna didn't come for you. Hinduism tells you to worship something and attend some religious ceremony, and perhaps all the various gods will embrace you. Joseph Smith didn't come for you. Follow alone the principles and beliefs of the Church of Latter-day Saints, and you then can be a god in your next life. Nobody else has come for us. Simply, every other religious world tradition simply says, good luck, work harder, do more. Here are some more rules to follow. Every religion looks upon humanity in its universal problem and simply says, good luck. And that is the difference. Christianity does not offer us good advice. Yes, there is a lot of good things about Christianity. There's a lot of good teachings. There's a lot of good life principles in Christianity. But ultimately, Christianity offers us good news. Christianity declares what has already been done and promises what will happen in the future. And its chief motivation is not just to pat us on the back and say, good luck, try a little harder, here's some more rules. It declares that something has already been done and accomplished on our behalf. See, nobody else looked upon our condition and realized that we cannot save ourselves. Nobody else looked upon us and, and the horrible state that we were in and recognized that we could not save ourselves. And out of compassion and mercy and love came for us and pursued us and lifted us up from an infinitely deep pit, and simply as a gracious gift, extended forgiveness so that we could receive life and be back in relationship with God. Nobody else did this. No other religious worldview did this. You now Christianity simply says, don't buy your own efforts. It's futile by your own efforts to try to receive what only grace can provide you, which is forgiveness. And so stop striving. Stop working. That is, oh, it's a it's, it's world apart. It is so different. It is on the, the complete opposite spectrum. It's on a completely different spectrum altogether than every other religious tradition. You see, there is no other God that pursues you and longs to be with you and longs to heal you and longs to embrace you even in your brokenness. And even amidst our sin and our rebellion and our pain has embraced us and forgiven us and come near us To secure our forgiveness. And some people will look at me, and some people will look at us who follow Jesus, and they'll say, well, you know what, Ross? That's narrow-minded. That's bigoted. That's judgmental. How intolerant that Jesus is still the only way. They'll continue to say this, but they do not even recognize the contradiction of something like this. That if Jesus is simply offering us forgiveness as a gift, a free gift of grace— and every other world tradition is saying you must work to earn something, that there is a contradiction here. And they cannot mutually exist in truth. So either there is Jesus who offers us a free gift of grace, which is what we all desperately long for in the end. Or there's a whole host of other religious traditions to truth from, but they both cannot be true. And I think for those of us who have followed Jesus long enough, we recognize that this, the forgiveness, the grace offered us in Jesus Christ is absolutely where new life is found. Everybody is looking for freedom from guilt. Everybody is looking for freedom from the brokenness and freedom from the burden that they experience. Everybody is trying to find it. And yet, how many of us have found it? I believe Jesus Christ is true because... Forgiveness works. Thank you. I'm going to put the band forward. We're going to reflect on this for just a minute longer as we sing one final song together. You know, the Gospel of uh, John, the writer of John, John was a very good friend of Jesus. He lived uh, alongside Jesus for three-plus years. Learned under Jesus. Um, just just such, such an incredible uh, Gospel of John, but he g- begins it in a, kind of a weird way. He says that in the beginning was the Word. This word um, that we translate word is originally in the Greek language the word logos. It's a word that we take our English word logic from. Logic, rationale, reason, truth. In the beginning was logic. Logic and truth that would never let two contradictory ideas be true at the same time. And so what did logic do? You know, what, did, what did truth do? What is Christianity about? Is it just a philosophy? Is it just another worldview? Is it a religion? Is it a list of rules? Is it good advice? What did Christianity do? What is it all about? It's, it's none of that. It's a person. Right? The, the logos, the logic, took on flesh and lived among us. See, the truth that ends up defining everything else is a person. It's not a set of ideas. It's not a set of rituals. It's not good advice. It's not a list of rules. It's not a set of things that we have to do in order to impress God, but rather is in the things that God has done for you and because of love, because of love, in and in through the person of Jesus. And so we long to be forgiven. We recognize the guilt and the burden within all of us, and we long to be forgiven, and so many of us have entered into that perpetual guilt machine hoping to solve the problem. Now that may not be your story this morning, of uh, of understanding that Jesus and Jesus alone is where forgiveness can be found. Maybe you're still in that perpetual guilt machine. You've tried to do something, and and it didn't work, and so you tried harder, and it didn't work, and so you tried harder, and it didn't work, and you just... It kept going. But in Jesus Christ, and this is what's so beautiful and what is so brilliant, is Jesus Christ, He simply offers us forgiveness. And so, God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that in our striving, Father, when you saw us in that perpetual guilt machine, when you saw us trying to to find a solution to the burden that was heavy upon our hearts. that you sent your son Jesus into this world to offer forgiveness, to take that burden upon himself and consume all the the burden of it, Father, upon himself, to nail it to a cross, to put it to death, Father, and three days later to rise up into new life and to offer then as an extension of that life, offer us to come back into relationship with you. Yes, I believe Jesus is the only way, truth, and life God, because only he provides us forgiveness. Everybody else says simply work and try harder, Father. There is nothing satisfactory about that. We will be trapped in that perpetual guilt machine for all of eternity if we pursue religion as the source of solving the problem of our inward guilt and shame and brokenness, Father. But you have offered us forgiveness. You have offered us healing. You have offered us new life and you'd offered us to be in relationship with you. So, Father, if there's anybody in this room this morning that does not know you personally, what you have offered us, Father, and we are still, again, everybody's religious, God. We are still trying to earn our way back into relationship. We are still all trying to fix the problem, Father. I pray that you would open up their hearts to understand and that they would embrace the gift, the free gift that is offered them this morning. And that we would lay down all the attempts that we're trying to earn favor with you, Father, for it cannot be done. And I simply pray that we would surrender, Father, and let go of our attempts, Father, and we would embrace your forgiveness this morning. And in that, we would find new life. We would find freedom. We would find an identity secure in you, Father, that is no longer ashamed, that is no longer full of guilt, that is no longer broken, Father. But we are are mended, we are healed, we are restored by the precious blood, and the forgiveness offered of Jesus Christ. I pray that would be true of us this morning. We do pray this in your incredible and mighty name. Amen.